Today's episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. He's also looking like a lumberjack today, <laughs> in case you're wondering. He's unshaven and in a manly flannel shirt. That is true, yes. For the ladies. <laughs> For the ladies. <laughs> so, Kimberly Palmer is back, and this time she's here to talk about her book, The Economy of You. Discover your inner entrepreneur and recession-proof your life. She's here to share her advice for launching a successful side gig to make a few extra bucks, or maybe even turn your part-time passion into a full-time job. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers Answers! Today's question comes from Rita. Rita writes, Hello, Allison and Robert. My niece is asking me for help with her 403B. She recently changed teaching jobs, so is opening a new account and rolling over her old account. Where can I go for an honest ranking of mutual funds, expense ratios, etc.? Well, hello, Rita, and aren't you a nice aunt for helping out your niece here? Yeah. Um, so, for those who don't know, a 403b is like a 401k, except that it is for nonprofits. So, you'll see them in schools. Um, Charities, hospitals, places like that. Um, the 403 bar- 403b market is smaller, so the 401k market total is about five trillion dollars. 403b market is only one trillion dollars. Oh, measly trillion. <laughs> so that's still a lot of money. Uh, very similar to the 401k in terms of contribution limits. Um, this year it's eighteen thousand dollars, twenty-four thousand dollars if you are fifty or older, and if you take the money out before you are fifty-nine and a half, you pay ten percent penalty. But there's one significant difference between the 401k and the 403b, and that is, for the most part, insurance companies dominate the 403b market. It kind of goes back many, many years ago when 403bs were often called TSAs, or tax-sheltered annuities. They don't have to be anymore, but still, most of them are. What this means is there's often an extra layer of expenses. How fun! (laughs) The good stuff, yeah. Uh, Actually, the New York Times just did a recent series about 403bs, and the first article was entitled "Think Your Retirement Plan Is Bad? Talk to a Teacher." Oh, yeah. And here's a good quote from the article: "As a result, the people who do the most good in the world, spending their careers helping others in exchange for modest paychecks, often get the worst retirement plans. In fact, millions of people who save in 403b plans may be losing nearly 10 billion dollars each year." And excessive investment fees, according to a recent analysis by Aon, a retirement consultant. Ugh. Right. So, another interesting point about this is that if you have a 401k, uh, you probably it's it's probably being administered by just one company. So it might be Vanguard or Fidelity. Whereas, if you're in like a school system, you have to choose from many providers, and which adds an extra layer of complexity on it as well as possible conflicts of interest, because the people uh, who often get the most assets are the people who have the biggest sales force. Mm. How do you pay for that sales force? Fees! Fees and commissions. Now, not all 403b plans are bad. Some actually have lower expenses, but because depending on how it's structured, it has lower regulation. 
that could be good because then you don't have to pay for all the compliance and stuff that you have to do. But that's also why a lot of these are very bad because there are not enough regulations. But if you have a good employer with a good 403B plan, it can be a good deal. So to get back, Rita, to your question about where is the source of information for performance and fees, it is the plan itself. So go into the plan, look up each fund. Those fees and performance numbers should be accurate. They have to be accurate. In fact, that's the best source of information because, let's say you have a Vanguard 500 index fund in your 403B. If you go look up that same fund on Morningstar, it won't have the same fees and the same um, performance. It might be because the one in the 403B has higher fees, that's how they pay the salespeople, or because it's such a big 403B, uh, they've actually been able to get lower fees. So stick with the information that is within the plan. However, you can use something like Morningstar to compare the funds within your 403B to what's available out there in the real world. So if your Vanguard or your your S&P 500 index fund is charging 1% a year, that is a very bad deal and you could use the information that you find on a site like Morningstar to take to your HR person and say, "Listen, we're getting a bad deal here. There are better options out there." My ultimate advice for you, Rita, is um, for your niece, at least, when she comes to rolling over her old 403b plan, don't put it in the new 403b because it's probably not good. Instead, roll it over to an IRA where you have more investment options, probably lower costs. When it comes to opening up a new 403b, if it's a lousy plan, it might be better to choose an IRA instead first before you go to 403b because the other big difference between 403bs and 401ks is that most 403bs do not offer a match. You don't have that big incentive that most 401ks do. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. What a downer. It is a downer. And a great site for information about 403bs is called 403bwise. It was started by Dan Otter, who is a longtime educator, and Scott Downhauer, who is a certified financial planner professional. They do a great job of explaining the 403B market and helping you choose the best plan, especially if you are in one of these school districts that offer many providers. Well, to Rita's niece, thank you for being a teacher. I'm sorry this sucks for you. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsor, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Calling all listeners who are thinking about buying a new home or refinancing the one you got. Are you there? Okay. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. All from the comfort of your couch in your slouchy sweatpants at any time of day. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickandloans.com. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. Kimberly Palmer is back. Hi. Hi. Thank you. This time she's here to talk about her book, The Economy of You Discover Your Inner Entrepreneur and Recession Proof Your Life. And you're going to talk about how to launch successful side gigs and yes. make a few extra bucks, or maybe even turn your part time passion into a full time job. Yes. yes. All right. Exactly. Let's just do it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. So, one, I'm just going to tell a story. You're going to be like, what is she talking about? But just stick with me here. 
So I was at the dentist, and as I'm leaving the dentist, this cop comes in, and she's like, did you, you know, were you looking out this window when you were sitting in the dentist chair? And I'm like, no, I wasn't. She's like, well, that bank across the street just got robbed. It's the middle of, it's like right before the holidays. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. And she's like, yeah. She's like, in December, bank robberies just go through the roof. And so I looked it up, and it turns out three out of every four bank robberies in the D.C. area happen in December. And the reason why is because people are trying to find money for holiday gifts. Doesn't that make that's you the, sad? That's the true spirit of Christmas. It's, well, really. it's kind of sad. <laughs> the sad. idea of like, you know, they don't have, they want to give gifts to people, but they don't have enough money, so they're going to go rob a bank. So. Yeah. Here's the good news. You don't have to rob a bank. <laughs> you can read Kimberly's book um, and learn how to like make money and doing things that you enjoy. Which is what you did. Yeah. Right. So let's start there. Let's start at the beginning. So why and how did you start your first side gig? So I started my shop on Etsy. Uh, it was right after I had my daughter, like six years ago, and I just felt like so much financial instability. I wanted to make sure that I could you know, provide for her. And also it was during the recession, so I just felt like I needed another source of income. So I had this idea. I was actually shopping for gifts for someone on Etsy, um, like jewelry. And then I found this whole section on digital sales. So I realized, oh, I could sell something on here. So I started my line of money planners. They're like digital planners. And I listed them on Etsy. My first one was a baby planner. So how to prepare financially when you're about to have a baby. And people started buying them, and it was so exciting to me. <laughs> wow! Yeah, and they're PDF, so you know I yeah. didn't have to ship anything. But yeah, it was super exciting. And for those who don't know what Etsy is, Etsy is great. I love Etsy. I buy a ton of stuff off Etsy, and it's a site where you can go and open your own shop and sell anything from jewelry to I don't know any anything um, and and everything, which we will learn later on in the show. So, so in your book, you profile about a hundred people who have some sort of a side gig. And you wrote in the book that you were actually having nightmares about your fear of being laid off. Yeah. And so I'm curious, in your experience, how much is that that fear of financial ruin, how much is that causing people to go out and come up with a backup plan? You know, people really fall into two categories, the people I interviewed. You're either like me and totally driven by financial fear, I guess, or financial motivation to want to make more money. Um, or you just have this big passion and you know, money isn't so much your motivator, but you just want to share whatever. Maybe it's a hobby you've always done since you were little or you want to get back into something you used to do. And it's a, launching a side gig is a way of pursuing that without giving up your the security of a full-time job. So um, yeah, people seem to be motivated by either money or you know satisfaction, like a desire to create something and sell it. Right. Um, you gave all kinds of examples. Um, someone who worked at a deli and then started a cake business, mm -hmm. a cop who started a tax business. Um, what are some of the characteristics of the people who have done it successfully? If, you, if people are thinking of doing it, what should they be thinking of now to increase their chances that it's going to work for them? You really have to tap into something that you are uniquely good at. So you have to do a lot of soul searching first to think about, you know, what do people come to you for, for advice? Maybe you're giving it away free right now. So for example, maybe um, people are always asking you, how do I set up my Twitter account? Or, you know, use Facebook if that's, it. whatever it is people ask you for advice for, that's a sign that maybe you could make money doing that. So so it's really about figuring it out and picking that right thing and then figuring out how to market it and get word out that you now are open for business and whether it's a product or a service, just finding your ideal customer, your clients and connecting with them. I think that's a big part of it where people might be hesitant. They think of the marketing part, right? Going out there and, and putting yourself out there as a entrepreneur a, or a solopreneur, one of the terms you used in your book. 
How much of, of that is necessary to start the business? Can you be a successful side gigger if you, if you just have no interest in marketing? I think no. I think actually this is probably the hardest thing for a lot of people. It's definitely hard for me. You have to get in the mindset of being a seller. Like you are selling something and you need to persuade people to buy it. So you have to have some level of comfort with that, putting yourself out there, reaching out to people that aren't already your friends, and just, you know, saying I'm open for sales now. And that's a big mindset shift, I think, for people that can be a hurdle, uh, but it's so important to embrace that marketing aspect or else you know you won't be making many sales. Gotcha. But how many t- how much time does it take? So let's say someone has their full-time job like you, maybe they have a kid or two at home and they're thinking, I have this ho- hobby, I have this interest, I'd like to do something with it. How much time should they expect to spend on a side gig? So it's actually so important when you're pulled in all these directions to not spend too much, figuring out ways so you don't have to spend too much time and you're being super efficient about it. So it might be doing things like setting up your a social social media account so you're sending, sharing Facebook uh, messages, sharing tweets, at, and you don't even have to be on your computer all day when you're doing that. You can use you know a tool so you just spend an hour scheduling them, and then over the next week they come out. Uh, encouraging word of mouth, you know, when you do have clients or customers, asking them to tell a friend, incentivizing that by doing giveaways and discounts. Um, the most powerful marketing tool I found was my email newsletter. So I started building up an email newsletter by offering something free for people to sign up with their email. And then suddenly I had hundreds of people. Every time I list a new product on Etsy, I can email them. And those are already people with a good chance who are interested in buying it. So it's about choosing the most efficient methods because we don't have a ton of time. So, in your book, you highlight lots of success stories. I'm sure you came across people who tried it and didn't succeed. Anything that's common among those stories? The, the, what, what, the big reasons why people don't find a way to make their side gig a success? Yes. Yeah, so the, the biggest thing, and I actually made this mistake myself, is when you sink a lot of money into your side gig before you've even generated generated any traction and are building sales yet. So doing things like spending a couple thousand dollars for a professional to design your website when you could probably just do it yourself, you know, um, with a few hours on a weekend. So sinking money into the business before it's really taken off the ground. I made the big mistake of spending a few hundred dollars printing my money planners before I realized that people just wanted to buy the PDFs and not the printed versions. So I actually still have like a closet full of spiral bound <laughs> planners that are not going anywhere. So just looking for the cheaper way to do things. It's interesting you bring up the point about money because you touch a little bit on the book on getting your personal finance, sort of personal finances in order for this business. So if, if someone is thinking of taking this risk, what should they be doing in their personal finances to get ready to be sort of doing the sidekick thing? So it's so important to take a close look at if you have debt. If you have credit card debt, you're going into it in such a vulnerable place already. Um, That's why it can really make sense to kind of just get your finances in order before you start something new. So doing things like making sure you're paying off your credit card debt if you have any, or making a plan to pay it off. Um, so you're not burdened by that going into it when you're la- trying to launch something new. Because when you do launch your side business, you need all of your energy focused on it to really make it a success. And if you have all these stressful financial things going on outside of it, it can be hard to do that. So just kind of making sure you're being responsible and have things set up in a way uh, so you're ready to focus on this new project. Gotcha. One of my favorite stories in your book, by the way, is the one about your dad, oh, who, if I understood correctly, is a, was a wildlife Filmmaker, photographer, yeah, yeah, and then he decided to try being a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, 
He did. Which came with, with, I would say, mixed success? Yes, and I definitely would not call it a failure because even though he's not a full-time you know, stand-up comic today, he learned a lot from the experience. He gives really funny speeches. He's so good at giving speeches. So his you know, work life was completely enhanced by that experience, even though you know, I don't, he's not performing live anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and he had the British accent, I assume. That helped. Which yeah. helped a little bit, yeah. yeah. But he wasn't, if I understood it correctly, he wasn't raunchy enough. He was so, so G-rated that it just it didn't work. Stand-up comedy is not usually G-rated. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's say people are thinking about this. They go, this is a good idea. I have some ideas. Where should they go first? In your book, you had all kinds of great ideas in terms of websites and resources. Are there any go-to resources that people should check out first? Yes. There is such a strong infrastructure for e-commerce. So sites like Etsy, which of course I love. Um, also Fiverr, five with two R's on the end, is a good place to start if you're selling services. Um, there's also a bunch of freelance websites. So if you're using your own professional background, so say you have an architecture or a legal background, you might just be able to find contracts that way. There's actually new sites you know, launching all the time. So it can be hard to keep up on things. So you have to think about what field you're in and you know a simple web search can probably bring you to the latest uh, the latest and easiest app or website that helps you sell that and find your customers gotcha um, you listed the top 50 side gigs mm-hmm. in your book number three was financial services provider you used to be the senior money editor at US News and World Report have you ever thought of being a financial planner oh my gosh no way <laughs> 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 No, yeah, that's not for me. That's okay. not for you. Gotcha. Right. <laughs> All right. That's my idea for a side gig, by the way. Maybe one day in the future. We'll see what happens. Um, anyways, the, the book is excellent. And the, the thing I think is most interesting, and it sort of to bring it back to where we started, was um, this whole idea of having a backup plan mm-hmm. and a plan B. Um, we all know about diversifying our investment portfolio, but we don't really think about diversifying our human capital or our, sort of our work portfolio. Um, but we are all all in on our jobs, on our one employer. So it makes complete sense to have at least something waiting in the wings. I think you have to. I mean, it's it's scary these days. I just don't think we have the job stability that maybe people had in the past. And we have to have that backup plan for ourselves, even if it's you know having a strong LinkedIn and Twitter presence so you could find a new job tomorrow if you had to. But I just think it's so important for our overall financial security to have those backup plans always in place. I have a hard time thinking about what I would do in retirement, but the idea of like turning a hobby that I love into a side gig and taking that into retirement where I'm still generating some money is like a really it's a nice thought for me. I like that. Not just for like the comfort of money coming in, but just to keep me busy and excited about something. Absolutely. Yeah, in your book you quoted Dan Pink who many Motley Fool answers or any other listener knows with cuz he's he's been to the fool several times saying that basically we're all going to have to work a little bit in retirement because we're living longer and we just have to be prepared to have to be doing something later in life than maybe our parents or grandparents did. Yeah, I mean retirement I feel like doesn't even hardly exist anymore given how long we live. So, yeah, we are going to be doing something, so hopefully we like it. Right. Right. Allison, what would your side gig be? I should have expected you to ask this question. Uh, I I am going to tell you what my side gig is going to be after we do the next segment. Okay. I look forward to that. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Kimberly. Yet again, we're going to ask you to stick around for uh, one more, a few more minutes here and play um, a little game if you're up for it. Yeah. Okay. 
So we talked a lot about Etsy and how you can sell anything and everything on Etsy, and that really is the truth. So today we're going to play a little game that I guess I'm calling Seriously Etsy, where you have to guess <laughs> if an item I'm going to describe for you is really on Etsy or if I just made it up. Okay, are you ready? We're ready. ready. Both of you can vote, so I will I will keep a piece of paper here to, to keep keep very poor score, as I have shown in the past. All right, first one. Dinosaur costume for a hamster. Syrian. $5, by the way. Make your hamster absolutely fierce in this dinosaur costume, perfect for photos or Halloween. Note, this costume is for Syrian hamsters only, not for dwarf hamsters. That's definitely real. <laughs> <laughs> I would maybe buy that. Right. Like, Wait a second. <laughs> I have a hamster, so I'm going to check this one out. I'm going to go with it and say it's true, too. All right. You both got it right. It is true. Yay. $5, you can get it. Okay. Next one. It's a Pokemon cookbook. Gotta catch them all so you can eat them for the ultimate foodie Pokemon master. Enjoy recipes for braised Pikachu with roasted oddishes, Psyduck confit with sautéed vile plume caps, candied Pidgey pie, and Cloyster's Rockefeller. Wash it all down with a dry Dratini cocktail. Only 10 bucks. That just, I don't know, doesn't sound appetizing to me, does it? It doesn't either, especially since we had a bird named Pidgey that Aww. we named him for him. But uh, we also have a cookbook called Something like a cookie from your Wookiee. So I assume if <laughs> such a thing exists, this book must exist. I'm going to say no. Ah, Kimberly got it right. No, oh, I made man. it up. So we, we came up with this this morning, and I posted, we have a Pokemon Go channel, and so I asked people to give up some recipe ideas, because <laughs> we all are pretty active. Well, a few of us are pretty active on Pokemon Go. Oh my gosh, the ideas were hilarious. So I am going to do a side gig of creating and publishing a Pokemon Go cookbook. <laughs> That's a great idea. It's going to take off. All right, next up we have... Hawk eats sea lion placenta on dinner plate. Only seventy or sixty nine ninety nine. This plate is part what? of my dinner time series. Just listen, I'll do the description, which includes various scenes from the Wild Kingdom captured on porcelain. This ten-inch white porcelain plate features a Galapagos hawk enjoying a meal of sea lion placenta. I note: I honestly do not know whether or not it is safe to eat off these plates. Yeah, real. <laughs> that's, that's, I, I hope it's real. <laughs> <laughs> it is real. It is really on Etsy. Okay. That right. is incredible. Have they sold any? Pro I don't know. Probably. Doesn't it say like the number of sales on Etsy? Yes. Yeah. So we could go back and see. Uh, all right. Next one. Real moose poop doo doo nugget dangle silver wire earrings. Genuine. Oh, here's the. Oh, uh, for fourteen ninety nine. By the way, here's a description. That's a bargain. Genuine moose poop nuggets, a product of Maine here in the U S. Now you know what those folks do during those long New England winters. Bonkers. That's what. Collecting moose droppings, drying them, coating them in polyurethane. I assure you, there's no smell, and rigging them as dangle earrings. Okay, I, I have a friend in Maine who sent me napkins made out of moose poop. So if that's possible, <laughs> oh, this is possible. Definitely. Not, not that I would ever use those napkins, by the oh, way. Are All they right. painted or is just. Yeah, I can show you pictures of everything, by the way, when we're done. Is that done. true? But yes, it's true. It's moose poop. It's, and it's what it looks like it's moose poop, moose poop covered in like a shiny polyurethane coating. That is disgusting. I can it see that. It looks like what you. It looks like what you matter. All right, the last item. It's a candle, a scented candle, and the smell is freshly signed divorce papers. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing captures the rich parchment of a legal document declaring an end to your failed marriage like our candle, flesh, freshly signed divorce papers. Freshly? Freshly. <laughs> it's not like everyone around you didn't see this coming, and with the light from this candle, now you can too. 
Part happy, part sad, a little relieved, and unsure of your financial future stability. The complex emotions of divorce are captured in this very complex candle. <laughs> I want to say yes, but I'm going to go with no. Me too. Oh, you guys are so good. <laughs> this is not available on Etsy. However, you can still buy it. Oh. <laughs> so it's a, real, it's a real thing. It is a real thing. You just can't buy it on Etsy. <laughs> So it's by this can, um, can, candle company called Flick Candles. They make other scents. They call it Scents for Life's Disappointments. So oh there's gosh. one called Frat House Basement Party, Smells Like a DUI, and <laughs> The Friend Zone. <laughs> I'm getting all kinds of ideas for side gigs out of this, by the way. <laughs> Here's a candle that you can get on Etsy, though. It's called the Putin Scented Candle. The Putin Scented Candle <laughs> combines notes of pine, earth, and smoke billowing from the cities of your enemies. It is a manly fragrance designed to evoke the essence of Vladimir Putin and eliminate the smell of political dissidents from your home. Wow. So while you can't get freshly signed divorce papers, you can get the Putin candle. Very nice. So there you go. For all your favorite comrades. That was a close one, but Kimberly won. Yay. Yay. You guys, you guys got me. It's hard to it's hard to get one over on you guys. But Kimberly, thanks again for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank and, you so and much. Thanks for putting up with us. Thanks for having me. Wackiness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the show. Head over to our podcast center at fool.com slash podcast. You can listen to past episodes or discover other Motley Fool podcasts. You can also learn how to subscribe to one of our services like Stock Advisor. Two new picks are out this Friday. Our email is answers at fool.com. We are overdue for a mailbag episode, I think. But we are also swimming in questions from listeners, so let me just go ahead and apologize for that now. Bro feels particularly bad I about. Really, I really do. He feels very, very bad about how many <laughs> how many emails we have not answered. Yeah, I feel less bad, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm less of a feeler, I guess. I guess so. The show is edited handcraftily by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Mm-hmm.